0: This is the sermon podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless, relentless compassion. compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 1115 a.m.
1: This is Lord of Life. There is a place for you here.
0: For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. first lesson comes from the book of Kings. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Also you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nemeshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, at Abel-Meholah as prophet in your place. So he set out from there. He found Elijah, son of Shaphat, who was plowing. There were 12 yoke of oxen ahead of him, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle over him. He left the oxen, ran after Elijah and said, "'Let me kiss my father and my mother, "'and then I will follow you.' And Elijah said to him, "'Go back again, for what have I done to you?' He returned from following him, took the yoke of oxen and slaughtered them, Using the equipment from the oxen, he boiled their flesh and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out and followed Elijah and became his servant. Here ends the reading. The second reading comes from the book of Galatians. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit, and what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, as I warned before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ has crucified the flesh and its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Here ends the reading. I invite you to stand for the gospel.
1: Our gospel comes from Luke, the ninth chapter. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him. And on their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. When his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. Then they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air, their nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Please be seated. I've been reading a book called The Arrow of Time, which is a, uh, a phrase that scientists use to talk about the fact that although all the laws of physics seem to work perfectly well, whether you go forward in time or backward in time, we don't experience time that way. We experience time in only one direction. We can tell the difference between past and future because the past is fixed and the future is open. We can tell the difference because we know what happened in the past and we don't know what's coming in the future. Something about time seems to keep it moving in one direction, urging onward. Not everyone experiences time the same way. Different cultures have experienced time differently. There's a a tribe in the Amazonian rainforest that really has no concept of past or future such that they live only in the present and acknowledge as existing only those things that are right there that they can see. And if you take something away for all practical purposes, it just goes out of existence. They're is also a difference between the way the East and the West experiences time, probably having something to do with the fact that civilization began in the East and moved West, because it seems like older cultures, like India and Egypt, seem to experience time in a past-oriented way. Whereas more recent cultures, like ourselves, experience time in a future-oriented sense, in that we are always straining toward the future and leaving the past behind, rather than revisiting the past. Maybe Lutheran's a little more Eastern than I thought. But um, for the most part, we leave things in the past and we strain toward the future. Elijah, who we hear about in our first reading, was the greatest of the Old Testament prophets. He was fiery and combative. He spent his lifetime standing up to power, calling people back to God. He set himself up against kings and rulers and against The prophets, the other prophets who were leading the people away from God. He kept at this and kept at this until finally it just wore him out. One of my cats who lived a long life finally got to a point where I would carry him outside and set him down and he'd kind of look around and he'd see the road over there. He'd, go, uh. he'd start heading for the road as if to say, you know, to take me now. That's the impression I get of Elijah. Perhaps you know the story. When he gets dispirited, he gets worn out and he wanders out into the wilderness to die. He says, God, take me now. Except God doesn't. God picks him up, feeds him, and sends him on to Mount Horeb. Where he has this powerful theophany, this this powerful encounter with God, you might remember the story where there is a mighty wind, So mighty it breaks the stones. But then we're told God was not in the wind. There's a great fire that passes by. But we're told God was not in the fire. There's a great earthquake that shakes the mountain. But we're told God was not in the earthquake. And then we're told there was silence. And in that silence, Elijah was forced to wrestle with the fact that it was just him. That God was present in him. And then God speaks with him. And says, if I may paraphrase, if you're through whining, It's time to get back to work. He picks them up, dusts them off, and says, I got three things I want you to do. I want you to anoint Elisha to be prophet in your stead. I want you to anoint Nimshi to be ruler of Syria. And I want you to anoint Yehu to be ruler of Israel. And then he sends them back down the mountain into the fray. Elijah doesn't get much done after that. Indeed, it seems that Elijah only has the energy left to throw his mantle over the shoulders of Elisha before he comes to the end of his time. Leaving the other two things to Elisha to accomplish. And who could blame him? They were nasty things to accomplish because Nimshi as soon as he was told that he was going to be king of Syria, went back and smothered the existing king. Yehu, as soon as he was told he was going to be king of Israel, killed all the other rivals. It's a messed up world we live in. And we tend to be messed up people. We're the ones who inhabit it. But it's the only world we got. I heard a wonderful quote the other day Reality may be terrifying, but it's the only place you can get a good meal. This is the only reality we have. But this is also the reality in which God is working. This world is the God is the one that God created. This world is the one that God is redeeming. This world is the one in which we live. And therefore, God is only going to be real. We are only going to be real in this world and none other when Elijah is on that mountaintop and he sees all these signs of divine power go by, but then is left with just a silence. I can sympathize with that. That seems to be where we are. We can long for miracles all we want. We can can pray until we're blue in the face, but it seems like all we ever get is silence. and in that silence we're left to realize if this is going to get done it's going to have to be me on the one hand it's a very discouraging thought but on the other hand it's a very empowering thought for we just like elisha like elijah are left with the realization that god works us such that we become the answer to prayer. We become the change agents in this world. We are the ones who are left to wrestle with this messed up world and to transform it. If we believe that Christ was incarnated, that Christ became one of us, not, you know, borrowed one of us, not put on a suit that looked like us, but was one of us, then that means that this body, this ability, this mind, becomes the sort of stuff that God works with. Elijah was worn out. He did hard service. Who can blame him if he couldn't get everything done that God laid before him? So too we are called to hard work because we live in the same messed up world and if we are going to follow Christ, it means we are going to go up against the powers that be. We are going to go up against injustice, violence, oppression, discrimination, hatred. We stand against those things. But God is with us and in us. God keeps that wonderfully comforting and terrifying promise to be with us to the end of the age. Comforting because we are not left alone. Terrifying because it means we are engaged in the work that God is doing. Comforting in that we are privileged to work with God. Terrifying in that we are privileged to work with God and to do the things that God is doing. And God, in order to do those things, gives us the tools of the Spirit. Things like joy, Peace, patience, generosity, things that sound miserably inadequate to the work of transforming the world. Wouldn't it be a lot better to have things like power, armies, money, influence? Those things are great at keeping people in line. Those things are great at getting people to do what you want them to do. But they are lousy at transforming people. Those other wimpy gifts of the Spirit are surprisingly powerful when it comes to changing hearts. And you know what I mean if you have encountered those gifts. Someone who is unexpectedly patient with you. Someone who is unexpectedly generous with you. Someone who is unexpectedly graceful with you. Someone who speaks a word of hope or acceptance to you. Who does not force you but rather is the kingdom of God for you, who is the incarnated Christ for you, and gives you a glimpse of that kingdom. It's been a long time since I've been horseback riding, but I've I've never owned a horse. I've always gone on the, the barn horses, which is the barns over there, they're great at going this way. But if you ever turn them around, they're like a compass. As long as the needle's this way, they're fine. But the needle gets over this way a little bit, like, Ew! and they start running back to the barn because that's where they want to be. We experience time one way. We move from creation toward the kingdom of God, the redemption, the shalom, the fullness, the health, the wholeness of time, and we are blessed and cursed to have gotten a whiff of it. And so we strain toward that future. We are future-oriented, and we cannot look back. As hard as the journey may be, and as hard as the task may be before us, we cannot help but be it and do it. We cannot help but take on that prophetic mantle. Because we know that that's where we are heading. We know that that's what our spirit longs for. And we know that Christ walks with us. Christ is within us. And through us, Christ is redeeming this world. This world. Amen.